Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, there's perhaps the most wonderful sentence in all of the Bible. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. What a wonderful verse to confess and a truth to believe in. But here's my question. Why is it that Even if many of us confess this wonderful freedom in Christ, how come we live under a seeming cloud of condemnation? Why so much widespread depression among the Lord's people? Generalizing, why is it that we don't live in this glorious freedom, in this lightheartedness, in this joy, in this exuberance? Well, in this message, I want to tackle the issue of the condemnation that is no longer from God, no longer from the law of God, no longer certainly from Satan, the accuser of the brethren, but the condemnation that comes from within our untrained conscience. This message is not a complete message on the conscience of a man and how it functions within a man. But suffice it just to say, deep within a man, there is a speaking. There's a kind of a voice. We call that voice your conscience. And your conscience can accuse you. It can approve you. It can condemn you. And for many believers, that inner conscience still speaks according to the old dispensation and the old nature of the fallenness within them. And that conscience, that voice, has to be cleansed. That voice has to be trained. That voice has to become regulated by the very voice of God in Christ and the Holy Spirit. It says in the book of Hebrews that back in the Old Covenant... Our conscience was not able to be addressed by the many various sacrifices. If you look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, it says that all the many gifts and the offerings and the sacrifices that we offered as Jewish people, let's say, it was not able to perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So for a moment, there was a kind of a freedom, a kind of a release. But then that inner voice kicked back up and started condemning again. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, the writer goes on to say that the blood of Christ that was offered through the eternal spirit um, without blemish to God, that blood... That is, the work of Christ, the offering of Christ, can purify our conscience from dead works 
to serve the living God. That inner speaking that's working hard for God, do more, avoid more, try harder, that inner speaking that approves me and condemns me based on my dead works, that inner speaking has been washed um, by the blood of Christ. And so I should be free from an inward condemnation. Again, the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 22 says, Let's draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is, as a worshiper of God, the blood of Christ has so washed me that I can come with full assurance of faith, full confidence and throw myself at the mercy of God. I don't have to play this shame and guilt uh, game before God of hiding. I can come boldly before the throne of grace. In Peter's letter, he addresses the issue of the conscience also. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he says that we can have a good conscience. But in chapter 3, verse 21, Peter speaks a, a marvelous word, a little bit of a mystical word regarding baptism. First Peter 3, verse 21, he says, baptism now saves us. But baptism is not the removal of the dirt of our body, but baptism is an appeal to God for a good and clean conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a difficult verse to interpret, but suffice it just to say, apparently when we come to Christ and we get baptized as a result of our new birth in Christ, Peter says that should do something for your conscience. It should cleanse your conscience and it should set your conscience right with God. So when Satan condemns you or your inner conscience condemns you, you can basically use the testimony of your baptism against an accusatory conscience. So when the conscience condemns you and say, Francois, you just sinned and maybe God is no longer uh, for you and uh, um, you have to earn again approval with God, then I can in faith say my baptism was a burial to my old conscience. And my resurrection out from the baptism, my co-resurrection with Christ is the testimony of a good conscience. I'm a new man. I don't have to listen to that condemning voice within. It's often been said that we are our own worst enemy. Why is that? It's because we stab ourselves. God's no longer condemning of me. The law cannot condemn me because according to Colossians, the law has been crucified in Christ. Certainly Satan can no longer condemn me because he has been um, canceled before the throne of God. He has no more right to speak any word of condemnation to God the Father. Why? Because according to Romans 8, I've been justified by God. God has acquitted me. Christ died for me. Christ is raised. Christ is at the right hand of God. Christ 
intercedes for me. The voice of Satan has no more influence before God. So the only thing that is now left to do is for me to condemn myself by my old fallen conscience. In uh, the letters to Timothy, this issue of the conscience is also addressed. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says that the aim of the commandment is that we would love God from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That is, the gospel should not only just do something for my issue of condemnation before the law, but the gospel should also do something for my inward condemning conscience. I I should become free there. And Paul says, yeah, this is really what the commandment is all about, is to love God, have a pure heart, have a good conscience and sincere faith. In uh, 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 19, Paul speaks about a good conscience again. He says we should hold on to the faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have shipwrecked in their faith. That is, we've got to maintain faith in God and a good, free conscience. A conscience that does not self-condemn. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 9, Paul speaks how we should hold this mystery of the faith with a clear and good conscience. That inner voice has to be trained according to the new covenant. Paul would also go on to say in 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, that I thank God, whom I serve as as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. So something in the conscience has to be addressed in the work of the cross. So many of us just assume the cross forgives my sin, which it does. But the cross also addresses the self-condemning voice. And that's the issue that often depresses the people of God. And we interpret this inward voice, this condemning voice, The mistake we make is that we interpret it as the voice of God. And no doubt God speaks in our conscience. But in the new covenant, the Spirit should speak freedom, beloved acceptance um, within my conscience, no longer the issue of condemnation. Paul, as you well know, was a man who uh, wreaked havoc upon the early Christians And he would go on to actually say that he has a good and clean conscience regarding the issues of his past. So you may say, how is it possible that a quasi-murderer can have a clean conscience? Beloved, this is a work of the Spirit of God. And this is how deep the freedom of God can go. In our time together, I want to explore just a little bit, again, by way of introduction, an initial um, on-ramp to this issue of the conscience. If we say that the law of the Spirit of Life has freed us, then surely we should also be free in our inward conscience. 
Paul goes on in Acts chapter 24, verse 16 to say that I always take great pains to have a clear conscience toward God and man. It's something that as Christians we need to grow in to allow the inner speaking to rather be the speaking of God, not my culture, not my Christian religious practices, not my self-induced laws and regulations. But we should take great effort to let the Spirit of God have the only voice within my conscience. So come with me and let's explore this issue of the inward conscience. Jesus, we together declare that you are on the throne. We declare that the enemy of God and the enemy of our soul, Satan, has been defeated. Thank you, Lord, that you are triumphant over sin and death. Thank you, Lord, that you rose from the grave. Thank you, Lord, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, that you intercede for us, that you plead our case, that you stand in the gap, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are for us this morning. God is not against us. I thank you, Lord, that if you gave your Son the Word also says that you will freely give us all things. So this morning we need mercy. I'm supplied with your Spirit, Lord. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us hearts to believe again, Lord. I pray, Father, that our few uh, minutes together would really pack a punch. I pray that my speaking would be clear. Would you help me, Lord? Please strengthen me to relay these truths to, uh, to us. I trust your spirit. I trust your anointing. And I give you praise. I declare that the Lord is good. I declare that the Lord is present. And I declare that the Lord is not only among us, but Jesus, by your spirit, you are within us. We celebrate the Lord and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. I want to talk to you about the freedom that the Spirit of life affords you and I who have become believers in Jesus Christ. At the onset, when we are in the law of sin and death, there is condemnation in you and I's life. Condemnation from God Himself. Condemnation from the law of God. Condemnation from within, my own conscience condemns me. So from every which way, if you are not in Christ, you are condemned. Before God, Paul would say, I'm guilty. 
Paul would also say here, notably in uh, chapter 7, that the law that I cannot keep judges me and condemns me. We find that even in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. If you are a religious person, you are God's word in your thought and your emotion and in your habits. You really want to please God. And you're trying to obey even the very law of God. Or even worse, you make up your own laws to obey God. In any law that you break, you are condemned. Even when we make up our own laws, I want to do this for God. I want to avoid that to prove to God that I love Him. Isn't it true that when you miss that law that you script for yourself, whether it's the law, the written law code of God, or whether it's a self-imposed law, we always feel condemned because of it. And then even more, there is a conscience within us that always condemns us. You may not really know God. You may not know the law of God like a Jewish person does. You may not even script your own laws to try to live by some religious uh, uh, guideline or creed, if you will. But let's just say you're godless to the uttermost. Then there's still a conscience within you that condemns you often. For instance, you're at work and you cheat just a little bit on the time clock. You come late, you leave a little bit early, but you log properly eight hours of work, so you get paid for eight hours. Even if you're the most godless person with no intention to worship God or to follow God, your conscience will condemn you because you cheated time. Where does that voice come from? It comes from your conscience. So no matter which way you and I turn, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Before God I'm condemned, before the law, before my own pseudo make-pretend law, I'm condemned. And if I don't have any of that, even in my conscience, I am condemned. As far as God condemning you, there is freedom in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul would start off by saying, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. From God's perspective, there's no longer a finger, there is no wrath, there is no judgment, there is no condemnation. From the law, there cannot be condemnation either because that law, according to Colossians, has been crucified in Christ. That law belongs to an older dispensation. And so that law can no longer lord over you and dominate and dictate and then condemn you as you fall short. You, you've become free from the law, so to speak. There's more to that story and we will cover it in due time. Because the law is now transitioning through the life-giving spirit to my inner man. But for now, I am free from the condemning factor of the law. Now, a believer should also be free from making up his own laws. And this is an issue that I think we have to address for just a minute. So many of us 
struggle to live by simple faith in Jesus Christ, which is, by the way, the backbone of the letter to the Romans. Just believe the work of the cross. Just take all of your faith, all of your trust, and all of your hope and throw it fully in the man, Jesus Christ. So many of us, we do that. We do that by way of a confession. Lord, I trust you. We might even say, Jesus, you are the Lord. And we would babble many, many a time a confession in Jesus. But then what we do in our lifestyle, in the way that we want to live for God, we forget that the one we confess is also the very one that baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That is, He feeds you with the Holy Spirit. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He clothes you with the Holy Spirit. So you live out this spiritual life by the one that you confess. But the mistake we often make, certainly I make it so many times, is I just think the spiritual life is about confessing Jesus who's up there in heaven somewhere. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe in you. But then living this out, I live it out by making up my own spirituality. So I craft a method, a formula, an approach, and I create certain laws and customs and traditions. That was already present in the first century religious man and woman. They freely confessed God, but the living out of the God life was done by rules and regulations. I think we do that very, very often. We put burdens upon ourselves. We put yokes upon ourselves that doesn't really matter nothing in the spiritual life. Then we now set out to, 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 to meet these criteria that I impose upon myself, my church family, my religious culture, my Christianity, if you will. And so... Uh, Valiantly, I now live the spiritual life as a confessor and a self-induced spiritual person that now tries to carry this yoke, this burden. And lo and behold, you're going to fail with your own scripted spirituality. It's just a matter of hours or at best days before you're going to forget to pray Forget to read your Bible. Forget to have that quiet time. It's not going to be long before you're not able to uphold this standard that you've created. And then here's what you and I do. As soon as I forget to have that quiet time, or I didn't read a full chapter in the Bible today, or whatever law you bind yourself to, whatever regulation you bind yourself to, then all of a sudden we condemn ourselves. I condemn myself by the very law I created. Or let's say, maybe the Christian culture created. Beloved, so we get into bondage. We get back into bondage that has absolutely nothing to do with the spiritual life whatsoever. God has a way for you to live this life. And it's to live by the law of the spirit of life. And if you read carefully through the New Testament, you'll see that that spirit of life is the resurrection spirit of Jesus Christ, 
who is baptizing you and flowing into you as might a river, constantly flooding you and supplying you to live the spiritual life from God's perspective. From God's perspective, He asks you basically just to love, basically just to listen and obey. From God's perspective, the burden is light. The yoke is easy. Even in 1 John chapter 5, it says that the, bur- the commandments of God are not burdensome. Like you are well able to live out the spiritual life because God has given you the spirit of resurrection. The spirit that overcame the grave is living in you. That's why John would say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So from God's perspective, you're well able to live this out because it's not really you living it out. It's God in you that's the hope of glory. But no, I'm just a confessor. But then I am the one that's going to show God my devotion. I will show Him my faithfulness. And like a good old Pharisee, who we suspect added some 2,000 additional laws to the 613. Why? Just, just to prove to God, to show to God, look at how faithful, devoted I am to you. So here then, the average Christian, we get into a, a, a bind. Because now my conscience speaks. Deep within you, there's the conscience And the conscience affirms and condemns. And so now I create these laws and people of authority around me impose these laws on me. So I interpret anything that is kind of like a little bit of a work, a little bit of a standard, I interpret it as from God. Because my basic false interpretation of God is that He's a killjoy. He's this God of these standards. He's got this unbearably high goal for me to attain to. So anybody with authority that puts a yoke upon me, I immediately interpret it, this must be God. So now I try. Little little blue train. Oh, I think I can. I think I can. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get over this hill, over this hump. And then I fail, as every single one of us have failed. But then my conscience now comes and say, Aha, see, you let God down. Your conscience is a voice that just speaks. It doesn't even at times speak the truth. The biggest liar is often my own conscience that has been influenced by the culture. My conscience would say, see, you're no good. See, you're a backslider. See, you're not really proving your love to God. See, God's going to forsake you. You hit your hand with a hammer. See, God's punishing you. All those are lies that comes from your conscience that uses the law that you've created, that culture has created, that, sorry to say, often Christianity has created. And now, you didn't pray for an hour. Okay, your conscience say, oh, what a pitiful Christian you are. So now, you have this condemnation before God. You're not free and bold to approach Him. Because, listen, 
If your conscience is not pure before God, you will not want to come to God. Because if your conscience is damaged, your faith in God leaks out. Your conscience and your, your faith in God is, is, is almost like a scale, so to speak. If the one struggles, the other one is going to struggle. So your conscience condemns you, now you're convinced God's against you. You're convinced you're not proving yourself to God. So all of a sudden, that boldness to come to the throne of grace, that faith to love God, that faith to worship God and to bless Him, all that leaks out and now you run from God. You hide from God. And now you sit in the corner in the shadows and you stitch fig leaves together. Oh, i got to make myself presentable. Oh, i got to pick myself back up. Okay, I vow. Oh, I vow. I will never. I will always. From now on, I'm going to read the Bible. Not in a year. Give me a month, baby. I'm going to prove myself to God. And so, your conscience is not free. And you're not free. And here's the kicker. All the while, you're a confessor of Jesus. First of all, your conscience is innate within you. Your conscience is an innate speaking within you. It's been there ever since you as a human being came into consciousness. In and around age one, or two or so, when you have self-awareness, there is this innate conscience. This innate conscience speaks and tells you you are wrong, you are right, etc., etc. So your conscience speaks that there's something you ought to worship. So as you grow up, you immediately want to begin to worship something. That's why many folk build some kind of a statue, some kind of an idol, and they say, okay, this is God. Why? Because eternity is in the hearts of men. There is something within man innately speaking, hey, I have to worship something. There's something greater than me. It's that innate conscience. But your conscience can also be expanded. Your conscience can grow. And the way I say it is your conscience can be influenced. It can be impressed upon from without. So as you grow up, your parents get to help you grow your consciousness, that inner speaking. And by all the rules and regulations and the values of life that your parents teach you, you begin to grow in your own consciousness as to what is right and what is wrong. Perhaps your teachers begin to influence your conscience, that inner speaking. When the teacher constantly says, Johnny, don't chew gum in class and she begins to make a rule about it, then sooner or later your conscience begins to speak to you, chewing gum in class is wrong. I'm not sure it's actually wrong or right, but for you it becomes really an issue of right and wrong. So tomorrow, when you're sitting in college and you're chewing gum, something within you is nagging at you. What is that? It's your conscience speaking. Don't chew gum. It's wrong. Why? Your conscience has been influenced by this thought, don't chew gum. Now another man has been chewing gum his whole life. His conscience is not influenced with the thought that it's right or wrong. So he goes to college and smacks gum all day long. And he's not bothered by it at all. So how can it be? 
It's all an issue of your conscience. Your conscience is influenced, obviously, by Christianity. Christianity, what is modeled for you, what you hear, what you see, it all impacts you, it influences you, it grows your conscience. So you develop this idea that a Christian is a kind person, he's a good person, he gives, he doesn't cuss, he wears a gun and a Bible, and he votes a certain way. That's a Christian. And so your conscience is influenced by that. And so anything opposite than that might as well be the Antichrist. Just as for an example. So is this wrong or is this right? It's probably mostly an issue just of your conscience being influenced. Now what happens is that for many of us, this is where our conscience stops. We now become confessors in Christ. Oh Lord, I bless you. I love you. I believe in you. You are my Savior. But we stay with a conscience that is predominantly influenced by my culture, um, influenced by the politics of the day, influenced by the Christianity of the day. And so that's why we script laws for ourselves. And then we live by those laws and then my conscience agrees or condemns. But I want to... impress you with another aspect of your conscience. Your conscience actually should be infused with the person and the voice and the truth and the regulation of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And if I can use a word and just bear with me, is Christ has to incarnate Christ has to come into your conscience so that He is the leading voice in your conscience. And this is something Christianity cannot do for you. Only the spirit of life can free you in this area from a conscience that is walking on eggshells all day long to a conscience that hears the Lord and here's the Lord in agreement with the Word of God. It's not like you make up what you think Jesus is saying to you. It's in harmony with the actual kernel and truth and guts of the revelation of the Word of God. Now that conscience is, is, is where you have faith now before God. That conscience motivates you to live and to be bold and to be strong. You're not constantly hiding behind a rock somewhere. That conscience speaks to you constantly. God is for you, not against you. And when you do grieve God, by the Spirit within your conscience, God will speak to you. And He will speak by way of a conviction, not by way of a condemnation. So God will speak in your conscience, son. Your attitude was wrong today. Son, you lied today. Son, you were afraid today. But when that spirit of life in my conscience speaks, you will see that there will be a boldness to say, God, you're right. I blew it today. God, you're right. I was afraid today. God, you're right. I, I played the hypocrite today. 
That conscience who speaks in the Holy Spirit will convict you. And with that conviction will not be fear, but faith in God to come back to God. It's not like you've ever actually left God, but you can boldly approach the throne of grace. Say, Father, I've blown it. I agree with what you're saying. Amen, Lord. Where when culture speaks in your conscience, the law speaks in your conscience, the knowledge of good and evil speaks in your conscience. When culture speaks in your conscience, and I'm sorry to say, even when Christianity speaks in your conscience, that conscience is often condemned. And with condemnation, faith goes by the wayside. And with that leakage of faith and that condemnation, you live in hiding before God. I've been around many of the Lord's people. And maybe you've seen this in your own life or with those about you. But I want to uh, challenge you to keep your eyes open for these things. As I've met many, many, many young people, I, I notice a prevailing depression, a prevailing condemnation, a prevailing unworthiness, a prevailing running and fear and hiding, a shame and a guilt and an inferiority. And then over time you dialogue with a person. What have you done that makes you so bad? Oh, I've just, I've just not read my Bible. God probably hates me to hell. There's a depression. There's a self-condemnation because of a misperception that I should read the Bible. Now listen, I do want you to read the Bible. I think God would love for you to read the Bible, but it, it, it's, it's not so rigid. So little Susie and little Johnny feels utterly unworthy to, 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 to walk with God because they don't like reading. They're not good at reading. They, the Bible is complicated. I will give you that. There are days that this is a very complicated book. But they've associated Bible reading with this is what a Christian does. They struggle in it. Now the result is they condemn themselves and they feel that weight from God. So guess what? They hide in depression. Then I come to them and I say, do you really think this is God condemning you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've asked a thousand times forgiveness and I get none. They are living in a dynamic outside of the reality of God's New Testament. They've created a false reality with a false God and a false notion of what spirituality is. And as a result, there is this... Shame that they will never overcome. Why? Because they are never quite in the real truth and the real light that sets you free. It's a pitiful situation. The amount of brokenness over nothing. The amount of shame over nothing. Well, Francois, are you just saying that we can do whatever we want? No. By the Spirit, your conscience will be cleansed, and should you blow it like we all do, 
The Spirit is right there to convict you. And there will be no shame involved with it, but there will be a strong conviction that, yes, Lord, I'm off the mark. Spirit, I trust you. There is no reason that any one of us should be in bondage to anything today if the Son has set you free. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Then show me the Christian today that's actually free. Where is the person that is flawed, that makes mistake, but yet with a clean conscience he can say, Y'all, I am free. You find very few of those who boldly can say, I'm actually free. Most of us, we're stuck in some bondage that's self-induced, self-created, and influenced by culture and not incarnated by Christ. So I just want to say to all of y'all, if there is any condemnation on you that you've broken this or that law or rule, I want to ask you to reevaluate. Is this really the law of God on you? Because currently, the law of God that's on you is love and forgiveness and freedom. And there should be no reason to wallow in self-pity, live in this shame, running from God, trying to earn favor again, improve yourself. All of that is false. In fact, all of this, if I may be so bold, is religion. Do you know what that Latin word means? It means to bind up. It's to bind you to a certain thing. And that's what religion does. It binds you to a certain mindset, to a certain experience. And it's very, very sad that our interpretation of this new covenant and this new life in God is this binding. Oh. And God did not come to bind us to more laws and more readings and more observances. He came to bind us and regulate us, yeah, religionize us, if we could say that, to Himself. If any man is in Christ... He is free from the law of sin and death. So if you still live with one ounce of bondage or shame or fear, I just want to tell you all, that is a false bondage. That is a self-induced script that you've created and you hold yourself now incarcerated and imprisoned and self-condemned by a thing that's got nothing to do with God. So... What a glorious day when we can just break free out of our self-induced spiritualities and, and just say, okay, God, here I am. What, what's the real life all about? And I submit to you at a bare minimum, the real life in Christ has no condemnation and proper freedom. Proper freedom. Freedom not to sin and live loose. Freedom not to be just a hellion and unregulated, but a life to be absolutely regulated by God. Absolute freedom. Where your conscience is no longer condemning you, but your conscience speaks with the Holy Spirit, one voice constantly, the truth of God. And yes, if we do sin and we blow it, yes, the Spirit convicts. 
And that conviction is actually the most amazing thing. It's not a conviction that makes me feel low and unworthy. It's a conviction that makes me want to come to my dad and say, Dad, I've blown it. Teach me again how to do this. It's a boldness in that conviction to come to God, not a fear to run from God. Amen.